Welcome to the Illuminate Church Podcast. We hope today's message is encouraging to you. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Thank you, Pastor Tim, Pastor Christine, Pastor Vlad, the team that uh, we've got to know a little. You guys are amazing. We love you very much already. It's great to be here. As you can tell, I'm not a local with my funny accent. But I keep telling my American friends, you're the guys with the accent, not me. But people don't seem to understand this. Well, it's a great honor to be with you guys. I'm super excited to be here and to be able to share what the Lord's put on my heart. I know this is the first week and I will be back a, in a few weeks to, uh, to, to do a little bit deeper, come a little bit deeper with you. So I'm excited about that. This morning I want to just be able to take kind of the, the lid off my own heart, show you the journey I've been on and hopefully inspire you for this great commission that the Lord has called us to. So let me pray because I would love to hear the Holy Spirit's voice um, more than my own. So I want the Lord to really move through me this morning. Amen. Sound good? Okay. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you love us, Lord, and that you have a great plan and how to bless us and how to increase the favor and the fruitfulness in our lives. So Lord, I just ask you this morning, Lord, that you would speak to this beautiful congregation. I pray every heart would be opened to receive what you have for them, Lord. Thank you that you like to speak to your church, Lord. So we ask you this morning, Holy Spirit, would you speak in ways that we could only imagine, Lord. Do what only you can do. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Come on. Okay, so we're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 14. Just while you're turning in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, and I do want to say thank you to my team I have here. I have my assistant, Sam. Sam, stand up, say hello to everybody. This is Samuel. He's also an Englishman. And then I have my son, Elijah, who's an Irishman. Elijah, say hello here. Give everybody a wave. Elijah's the same age as uh, Pastor Tim and Christine's son. We just figured out they're pretty close, like a month apart they were born, huh? So uh, I have four kids and a beautiful wife. She will be here at the second service when she gets my other troops ready. And uh, I love to have these guys with me. They're a great blessing. A couple of our team are actually from England. I was born in England, but my family are all from Ireland. My wife and my kids are all born in Ireland. And my other family um, members, some of my ancestors are from Ireland. So I was kind of raised in an Irish home, but I didn't move there until uh, about 13 years before I moved to the U.S. I lived there for about 13 years so I kind of have a bit of a mixture in my, uh, in my heart and my, my culture. So uh, I hope that you guys will be blessed. Say hello to my wife when she gets here. Say hello to my kids. Uh, we'd love to um, you know, get to know you guys a little bit more. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. I don't know if we have it, but I'm going to read it. Okay, here we go. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away, you give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the crowds. And then they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken leftover pieces. Everybody say 12 baskets. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, I know you guys have heard this story a million times. We've, we've read this, perused over the scripture 
countless times, but I believe and I hope my prayer today is that you guys catch something new from what I'm going to share, from what the Spirit enlightened my soul with. So first of all, let me explain this. The Great Commission, first of all, was not given, given to evangelists. It was given to disciples. Because there is a need in celebration, there is a need in Orlando, there is a need in Florida, there's a need in America, there's a need in the world. And the truth of it is, people are hungry. People are hungry for something that hasn't yet satisfied them. They're looking like hungry, thirsty people. They're like, I'm looking for something that can fill me up because whatever I've got's not doing the job. And in this situation we have here, there's thousands of people because, you know, there's the women, uh, scholars say about 20,000 plus, you know, women and children uh, because, uh, you know, we like to have uh, wives and children as fellas. So there's a lot of people there, yeah? But this miracle, what a lot of people maybe don't know is this was miracle number 19 chronologically. So there were 18 miracles that had happened before this one, preceding this one. Why is that significant? I'm going to tell you why. Because the 18 miracles, am I allowed to like stand on here or step down or anything like that? Yeah. So I like to move around a little. Just, just give me permission. Otherwise, I don't want to bust your like sound system or something. Okay, here we go. There we go. Okay. So 18 miracles. I like to look people in the eye if you guys are all right with that. Is that not going to affect anything if I come down here? Are you sure? Is it okay, we'll find out. Yeah. Maybe I'll balance it in the middle. So 18 miracles before. What happened is this. The disciples were watching Jesus. They were watching what he does. How does he do it? Making notes. How he does it this way. Look how the people responded. 18 times they're watching the miracles of Jesus. Number 19 comes. You know what, what happens? Jesus said, now it's your turn. Number 19 was, now it's your time to get off the sidelines and get in the game. So what happened is this. Jesus said to the disciples, you give it away. Now what, what were they giving away? First of all, what we've got to understand is there was a need. How many people have a need in their lives right now? How many people in celebration do you think have a need? Is there many people with a need in celebration right now? Amen, yeah. So there is a big need in our communities. And the biggest need and the biggest hole that needs filling is Christ. Christ needs to fill the lives of these people. Amen. So we can come to Jesus with our prayers like we should. And we can plead with the Lord and say, God, I need you to move. I need you to move in my family. I need you to move in my friends, my colleagues. We call it Frank. Everybody has a Frank. Friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, and colleagues. So we're like, Lord, I need you to move in an area of my Frank. I need some breakthrough. I need someone to, uh, to get healed. I need someone to, to be saved, whatever it may be. And we can come and we can plead with the Lord and, and we can pray like we should. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says to the disciples with their need, and their need was great, huh? 20,000 people need, needed feeding and all they had was five loaves and two fish. That did not do the job. I didn't cut it, huh? So they're like, God, I really, like, we need you. This is embarrassing. This is going to, could erupt into some kind of riot. I don't know what's going to happen, but I need you to step in. And they, they felt embarrassed coming with the little that they had. But Jesus said, it's okay, it's enough. Whatever you have is enough for me. Because what I'll do is I'll take it from you, I'll break it, I'll bless it, and I'll multiply it. Doesn't matter how much you give me, as long as you give me something. So they gave the little that they had, but Jesus didn't do the work. Jesus didn't say, hey, yeah, give me what you got. Okay, guys, go, go and grab a coffee, time out, I'm going to take care of business, yeah? And then he didn't go and feed and didn't do the whole thing. What he did, he said, you give me what you have, I'm going to break it, bless it, multiply it. You're going to go and give it away. You're going to do the work. You, because why? Because you've been watching me for so long, now it's time to be my hands and feet. Now it's time that you get involved. Now it's time that you look someone in the whites of their eyes and love them the way that I've loved you. 
We read here in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everybody say all things. All things. So we come to God with our needs and God says, okay, but I've given you so much already. You know, we come to church every Sunday, we're like, fill us up, fill us up, fill us up. But if you're going to get filled up, you better pour something out. If I've got a full, gas, a full tank of gas, I don't need to put more in. And we come and we're like, fill me up. Fill. And the Lord's like, okay, I'll fill you up, fill you up. But then what are you going to do with what I'm filling you up with? The idea is that you go and give it away. He's given you so much, but we have to give it away. Now, we have excuses like the disciples had. The disciples had the greatest excuse. They're like, Jesus, listen, we got nothing. Five loaves, two fish, this thing's embarrassing. That was a good excuse. They could have said, look, I'm not even going to bother, huh? You may be here this morning, you're like, I got nothing to give the Lord. I got nothing to give my community. If you only knew my story, man, I don't even want to go there. It's embarrassing what I have. I don't even have a, a, a loaf or a fish. I have like a crumb. All I've got is a crumb, and I don't think that can do anything. But you know what Jesus would say? Give me your crumb. I want to tell you this. What Jesus can do with a crumb can change your life can change your city, can change your nation, and can change the world. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. Praise God. That's it. You can celebrate the Lord. We're in celebration. <clears throat> so the Lord can take the little that you give him, and he'll break it, he'll bless it, and he'll multiply it. But we have to be willing to give him something. Unless God breaks you, he can never multiply you. You've got to allow the Lord to get close enough to break you, amen? Now, how do I know this to be true biblically? Well, I know because I read the story of a man in the Bible that I'm going to read to you guys right now. If I ask you this question, if I say, who is the most valiant man in Scripture? When you think of a hero in Scripture, who comes to mind? David. David would definitely be one of the top guys, huh? David, Daniel, some of these kind of heroes. But David for me, when I think who's a man of valor, who's a man that really went the extra mile, who's a man that was willing to face, uh, to stand close to, uh, face to face with death, I think that would be David. Now, let's look at David. David's an interesting story. When we read in, um, in 1, Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, when he took on Goliath, this is a really interesting story. Because a lot of people don't know this about David. But David wasn't always the valiant, strong warrior. You see, David was a humble guy. David didn't really appeal much to the eyes of man. If you guys remember the story when um, Eli, his father, presented all the brothers to Samuel, the great prophet, remember that? Bring all your sons to me because I want to anoint one of them king. Well, David wasn't even included in that lineup. He was kind of out the back. Yeah, you don't want that guy. No, he's out the back smelling of sheep because he was a shepherd. But what a lot of people don't know, David had two jobs. He wasn't just a shepherd. He was a pizza delivery boy. I don't know if you guys knew that. Maybe it's in the Amplified somewhere. But if you read here in verse, we read in verse 17. Let me read this to you guys here. Verse 17, and Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves. Carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers and also take these 10 cheeses. Now where I come from, you stick cheese on bread, you get a pizza. So David, the shepherd, pizza delivery boy of humble beginnings, how did he come to stand head and shoulders above his counterparts? What was it about David that, that made him a hero when he was such a humble man, when he was such a, a person of insignificance? How did it change? What changed? I'm going to tell you what changed. What changed is this, is God gave him an opportunity for promotion. 
And every day of your life, there are opportunities for promotion that the Lord wants to give you. But what happens is we miss it because we're looking for some great fanfare. We're looking for some kind of lights, camera, action, archangels to herald the moment. We're looking for a stage, a microphone, a platform. We're looking for something that looks different to how God sees it. And we miss our moments. We miss our moment of promotion. You know where David's moment came? David's moment came delivering pizza. We, the Bible tells us he went to the front lines to see his brothers. So he goes to Iliab. He gives him his, his 10-inch Hawaiian. He goes to Abinadab. He gives him the meat feast. You know, he's handing out the pizzas to his brothers on the front line. That's all he's doing. Just doing an errand. How many people like doing errands? It's not much fun, huh? Just doing a job. Just out there working away. Here's your pizza. Here's your pizza. Just out there doing his thing. In that moment, something shifts. There's an opportunity for promotion because David hears a voice. Now, it doesn't look like you'd want it to look. It's not like, hey, come up here. I've got a beautiful stage for you. I've got a beautiful promotion. I've got a new job for you. It didn't look glamorous. In fact, it was the opposite. The voice that this man heard was the voice of Goliath. He heard a voice of a giant who was sacrilegiously scoffing his God, and something happened inside of David. David stood there, and he refused to remain inactive any longer because something rose up inside of him that said, I can't just ignore what I'm hearing. You know, there's a lot of giants in our community who say a lot of things, and for the most part, the church can remain inactive and remain quiet because we're intimidated by those voices. The devil likes to shout loud, huh? Whatever, whatever subject matter it is, he likes to shout it from the rooftops. And as believers, sometimes we can feel a little bit like, man, I don't even know how to face that giant. I'm just going to kind of, you know, hide in the shadows. But the Lord is looking for some Davids, amen? amen? The Lord's looking for some people who will say, hey, man, I'm scared. This giant, like I've never seen anything like this before. But I know my God was the God that was with me and with the lions and with the bears. I know the God that conquered those battles for me will conquer this one. How many people have been through some battles in their Christian life? How many people are still here victorious? Amen. Because the Lord is faithful, huh? And he delivers us through our challenges and through our problems. So he is faithful. So the Lord is wanting you to look back and say, look at what he did for me. Look at how I won those battles, and now I'm going to face this giant. So David did that. Now what's interesting about David is there was a whole army of men of valor, his brothers, the ones who were laughing at him. The same ones who were laughing at him were the ones who refused to challenge Goliath. And they're like, what are you doing here, man? Get back to your sheep, pizza boy. You don't belong here with us. This is where the brave men, the trained, seasoned uh, uh, warriors stand. You don't belong in this spot. You don't belong in this place. But it was there that David heard that voice and David stepped up. And you know what happened? Those brave men were cowering in the corner, looking through the cracks in the fingers as David stepped up and began to show traits of embarrassing bravery and insane courage. This man stood face to face with this man and giant and said, I believe that with five stones, with five stones, I can do what's never been done before. The disciples had five loaves. You know what was left over? Twelve baskets. David had five stones. You know what was left over? Four. He only needed one. Every time you give God whatever you give him, whether it be a crumb, a loaf, a stone, I promise you this. You will look at your life and you'll see, whoa, look how much is left over. Because whatever you give him, he'll break it, he'll bless it, and he'll multiply it. 
This is the God we serve, amen? It's impossible that he, it's inconceivable that he will not do this because he's the God of multiplication. Now the Lord wants you to see your moment of opportunity and seize it. Exodus, Exodus chapter three, verse two, Moses in the burning bush. This was a promotion moment for Moses. Moses was in this situation as a shepherd and the bush was burning and we think, man, that's incredible. But for shepherds, burning bushes were a common occurrence. Now, a voice coming from one wasn't, but a burning bush in itself was a common occurrence. He saw that bush burning, that's a normal day, and then he hears a voice. In that voice was an opportunity for promotion. Let's look at um, the disciples washing their nets. Disciples were fishermen. Washing nets was a common occurrence. You go and fish, you wash your nets. They're out there fishing their nets. Uh, sorry, cleaning their nets. What happens? Jesus walks up, says, come follow me. Suddenly, a promotional moment came in the mundane, everyday, ordinary humdrum of their lives. That's when the moment came. Look at Peter. They go, he goes fishing with the disciples. They enter into a storm. Were disciples used to storms? Of course they were. They were fishermen. It's kind of bread and butter. It's part of your everyday life. They, they enter into a storm. In that storm comes a moment for promotion. Jesus says, come. Come and walk on the water. Come stand with me. No one's ever done this before by Jesus, but he says, Come. From an everyday moment, his life changed. You see, we're looking for something different and we're missing it. It's in the trenches. It's washing feet. It's in the, the humble life. When you humble yourself, he exalts you. It's in humility that God will give you your promotion. But we've got to be willing to take it. Amen. I remember a gentleman that I was, uh, this guy was in my church a number of years ago, and I was uh, learning how to be an evangelist. It was all new to me, this whole thing. And this gentleman, he came to me, he said, um, he said hey, you know what I'm going to do? He had big dreams. He said, I'm going to get a bus, like a big bus, like a double-decker bus. Do you guys call that a double-decker bus? Yeah, okay. Some of, our, some of our language gets missed sometimes. Okay, so it was a big double-decker bus. He's like, I'm going to get one of those buses, and I'm going I'm to go into the, the communities, like into like the projects, what you guys call the projects, and I'm going like, to get all these people. They're going to fill the bus, and I bring them all to church. And, us, and he was like really pumped, and I'm like, praise God, that's amazing. You know, I got excited for the guy, and, and, and I said, so when are you getting the bus? And he's like, well, you know, I've got to like pray about it. And I'm kind of, you know, praying and, and seeking the Lord. And, you know, when, when, God when God believes that the right time comes, he'll send me the bus and, and stuff. So I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know anything, man. I'm not like, I've got no track record. But I'm just thinking about it. And I'm like, well, hang on. If you ain't got a bus, why are you waiting for the bus? Can't you go before you get the bus? So I didn't mean to be rude, but I just was honest. I said, so, so you're waiting for the bus. That could take a while, yeah? And he's like, uh-huh. I said, so maybe before you get the bus... You could, uh, you know, you could go on your bike. And he's like, you know, looking a bit offended. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, well, you know, even if you haven't got a bike, maybe you could just walk. You know, instead of waiting for a bus to get the job done, what about you just maybe just step out in the way that you can? And the guy got really offended with me. Like, really offended with me. He didn't really want to speak to me after that moment. I wasn't trying to offend him, but genuinely I was just thinking to myself, you know, like, Instead of waiting for God to do something, why don't we just do something? Why don't we step in? It was uh, uh, um, D.L. Moody, I believe, he said, he said, this great phrase, it's so good I can't remember it. He said, uh, don't wait for God to turn something up. Uh, don't wait for God to, to, to turn something up. You turn something up. Something like that. that effect. What did he say? This has gone out of my head. Don't wait for God to turn something up. You turn something up. Something like this. He's basically what he was saying is, don't wait for God to do it. You do it. 
and God will follow you when you begin to move. So sometimes we're waiting for the Lord to do everything before we do anything. And this is not biblical. I don't believe this is the way we're meant to roll. Amen. So man's rejects can become God's elects if we're willing to move. It looks like madness sometimes when we step out to follow the Lord. For David, it looked crazy. His brothers were laughing at him. They thought, this guy's crazy. But David knew something that these men didn't. David knew that God could take his stone and he could multiply it. Do you know what happened after David conquered this giant? His life completely changed. David's life was transformed from one encounter. This pizza delivery shepherd boy, humble guy nobody cared about, they laughed at him, they jeered at him, they joked at him. This man went on to become the most famous king in all of Israel and all of the world. From one act of bravery, from one moment of embarrassing bravery and insane courage. Look at what happened. If you give me poetic license, I think about this. I think, how long did it take for David to have his moment with Goliath? I'm thinking about 20 seconds. About 20 seconds for David to look Goliath in the eye, to say, hey, today the Lord will give your, your, uh, your body to the birds. Today God will allow the birds to feast on your flesh. Today he will destroy you. Today it's over, Goliath. And they had this little rhetoric, and God, Goliath said, you come at me like a dog with sticks. Today it's over for you. And they began this little kind of, uh, you know, this little rhetoric challenge. But I don't think it lasted very long from what I can read in Scripture. Maybe 20 seconds if you give me poetic license. 20 seconds of a man's life, everything changed. Just one moment, giving God your crumb. Here's my crumb, God. I don't have very much. If that stone was equivalent to a crumb, here's my crumb. Here's my stone. Here's my pebble. That's all I've got. But the Lord said, that's enough for me. I'm going to take it. I'm going to break it, bless it, and multiply it, and everything's going to change. Look at David's baskets, huh? The disciples had 12 baskets left over. What did David have? I'm going to tell you what he had. He had the king's wife. Sorry, the, the king's daughter. He married the king's daughter. He never paid taxes again. He became the most famous king in all of Israel. Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Do you see the baskets that he had left over? Do you see what was left over from one stone? If you give God your crumb, he'll blow your mind, I promise you. When I began to uh, step into this area of evangelism, it was very difficult for me, and this is the part I want to share with you guys because I really want you to see, you know, I know you don't know me, but I want to kind of let you expose my heart as much as I can so you can see that as an evangelist and the things that I've been allowed to see through the Lord, you wouldn't believe where I came from. You wouldn't believe my background, and that's why I want to share it to you, uh, share with you. So I suffered with post-traumatic stress disorder, like very severely, for about 13 years. I was on medication for many years. My wife was more like my carer than my wife. Before I got saved, I had two near-death experiences. I had one drug overdose. I was a drug addict and alcoholic, and, um, and I had a, a fight with three guys. that I, I picked a fight with these three guys, and they were banging my heads on metal bars when I was high on drugs and stuff. I almost lost my life on two occasions. After one of those occasions... I, um, the next day I had to go to hospital because my head was out here, I had to have a brain scan, I almost died. The next day I collapsed in the street from an anxiety attack. And then began this journey with post-traumatic stress that lasted many years. So I came to Christ in that, in that moment. Now, I didn't have much at all to give. Some days I couldn't leave the house. Every day I was wrapped in fear. 
Uh, I, I didn't know if I was going to have a pan- erupt into a panic attack. Like it was a difficult, difficult season of my life. I was a prisoner in my own body. Like I'd never experienced anything like this before. But praise God, he healed me and he set me free. Amen. But he gave me compassion to understand what it feels like. So I, this is the place I was in. And in the middle of this place, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. I had a dream. And in this dream, I saw a prison corridor, and there were like a prison, um, a prison uh, cells, and they went back to back to back. Just like if you imagine these rows you're sat in, imagine each one of these seats is a prison cell, and they went, just continued to go back. And I saw men sat in the prison cells, let me come down here, like this, and they were like rocking their heads in their hands, completely broken, distraught, empty, no hope. And the Lord said, go and take them by the hand and bring them out. This is in my dream while I was suffering from post-traumatic stress. So, the, so I went in and I took the, the individuals, you know, I'd go and I'd take them by the hand and I'd, I'd bring them out of the prison cell into freedom. And then one was there. Then, then the Lord said, keep going. So I did this about four or five times and the guys were all congregating and they were standing looking free. You know, isn't it beautiful when you see the look of freedom on somebody's face, huh? So they were looking, one moment they were captive, next they were free, and they were looking around like this. Then the Lord said, keep going. So I tried to keep going, and I did it four or five times, and then what happened was I hit a wall of demonic black darkness. If you guys have ever, have, ever had like a night terror or a moment where the devil breaks into your life and you're paralyzed with fear, you know what I'm talking about? So it was one of those moments in my dream, and this wall came in front of me, and I was paralyzed by fear. Couldn't see my hand in front of me. I couldn't move, but I had this breaking moment in my heart because I knew that this corridor just went on and on and on and on. There were men in satin prison cells, captive that just went on and on. And I said, God, I can't move any further. I'm, I'm paralyzed by fear. And I tried to wrestle for a few moments. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Spoke four words to me that changed my life. These words I heard in my sleep state transcend into my conscious state. In my dream, I heard the words. And when I woke up, I heard the words. Four words. Changed my life. These are the four words. He said, somebody has to go. Somebody has to go. I didn't want to go into the darkness because it wasn't fun. I didn't want to walk through that, 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 those fearful times and go into that, that blackness and that fear, but the Lord said, somebody's got to do it because my kids, my sons are at the back and they need, they're hidden at the back and they need freedom. You've got to go. So this was the wrestle that began with my life. So I woke up that morning and I said, okay, God, you know, I, I'll, I'll be a somebody that will go. I didn't feel like a somebody. I felt like a nobody, if I'm honest. Maybe there's people in here right now, you feel like a nobody. But you know what God does? He takes nobodies and turns them into somebodies. Amen? Amen. I had a lot of excuses to be a nobody. But the Lord said, I want you to be a somebody. Will you be a somebody that will go for me? So I said, God, I don't know how to do it, but I, I can't really even get through the day, but I'll, I'm willing. If you help me, I'm willing to be a somebody that will go. And I made that promise, and we're going to be careful. huh? When we make a vow with the Lord, he's going to cash in on that. So one day, I'm carrying out an errand. I'm painting my wife's house. I say my wife's house because as husbands know we don't know nothing when we're married. It all belongs to our wives, amen? So uh, happy wife, happy life, especially the home anyway is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> So my wife's like painting, she wanted me to paint our bedrooms, and I'm like, no, I'll do it next week, next week, and eventually I did it. So while I'm doing this painting, I swear it was crazy, I'm painting the house, I have a vision, an open vision, and I'm stood outside the worst bar in my community. This bar, uh, there's a guy who's a hitman who drinks in there, there's gangsters, there's like, you know, gang leaders, 
criminals. If you take the worst of a society and you put them in one bar, that's the bar I'm talking about. Like seriously, it was crazy. This bar was so famous, this street was so famous that a local artist painted the street as darkness and then the street parallel as light. It's from a local artist. It was crazy. I'd been in there and I'd seen a guy almost kicked to death by some of these kind of uh, paramilitary types, you know, like the IRA and stuff like that. There's kind of guys like that, uh, um, kind of like the mafia type people who will drink in these bars and very, very violent and they police these bars through, through fear. So the Lord shall be in my vision. I'm outside the bar sharing the gospel in my, in my post-traumatic state induced state. And I'm thinking, God, I can't do that. So he shows me the vision. I drop the paintbrush and I pause and I'm like, man, this is crazy. And I I start trembling because I'm so afraid. I couldn't even win the war in my own life, let alone somebody else's. So I'm like, how do I get through this, Lord? Anyway, long story short, many months go by and the Lord was, you know, wrestling with me and showing me, come on, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. So I went and I did it. I stood outside that bar and I shared the gospel and, and everything changed. It was crazy. What the Lord did through that moment blew my mind. There was a moment where the bar owner came to me. I put a like a speaker and I played it into through. I positioned it into the doors of the bar. Now there was no playbook. No one had done this before, so I didn't know what to do. But what I did is I brought my my crumb. I brought my stone because that was all I had. David was was a shepherd, huh? He had a sling and stones. I was a musician. That was my background. I was in the the music business. I was offered a deal by Simon Cowell many years ago. I was actually in a boy band. We played alongside the Backstreet Boys and many famous pop bands. That was my background. As a young boy, I wrote songs, poems and songs, and I had a record deal with with Warner Chapel Publishing. And uh, so that was my gift. That was who I thought I was. That was my identity. So for me, I'm like, and then when I got saved, the Lord said, walk away from it. And the Lord said, I've got a different path for you. And it was a very difficult thing to do, but I did it out of obedience. I didn't want to be an evangelist. I wanted to be a musician when I got saved. But you know what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, give me your music and I'll give you souls. He said, give me what you love the most and I'll give you what I love the most. He said, tell me three things. The third one, he said this. Give me your treasure and I'll give you my treasure. We're going to make sure that we don't love what we do for God more than God. Because I loved music. I love writing songs. When I got saved, I'm like, well, I just transfer from secular to Christian. And I start writing songs about the Lord. But it was my obsession. I, was, I, was, I spent more time writing songs than I did loving Jesus. So the Lord began to work with me and work in my heart in this area. And long story short, I go to the bar. I put the speaker there because that was my way of doing it. I knew music. So I'm like, I'll just use music and I'll hide. And the bar owner came and he put his head against my head. He's like six foot four, big crazy guy, well known in the community. Puts his head against my head and he starts screaming threats at me. I'm going to kill you, man. What are you doing here? Turn that Christian music off. Get out out of my bar. Get away from my bar. And he's like really going like crazy, you know. But the thing about it is, is that I was suffering from post-traumatic stress, but the Lord didn't seem to mind. (laughs) Like you would think that God would give this vision to somebody who like, you know, one of those brave men of valor. You think God would give it to the guy who knows what he's doing, not to the guy who's like, you know, trying to get through the day without bursting into a panic attack. But the Lord is looking for people that will go. He don't mind if you're a pizza delivery boy. He don't mind if you're a shepherd. He don't mind if you're a single mom a Starbucks worker, whatever your job is, the Lord's like, will you go for me? Sometimes the great men of God 
who stand on the front lines, looking great. They've got the right clothes. They've got the right CV. What do you call CV in America? Resume. You've got the right resume. You've got all the things that look great on paper, but you went facing that giant. Do you know, for 40 days, Goliath shouted down the armies of Israel. 40 days before David got there. 40 days. I'll take any one of you on. And he's coming against God and he's slagging God. He's, he's ridiculing their God. And not one of those seasoned, brave men would stand up against that giant. Not one of them. It took a smelly pizza delivery shepherd boy. Do you see how the Lord works? This is what he's looking for. When I first began... After that dream, when I had that dream, before I made it to the bar, this is what happened. The Lord said, go to the streets and share the gospel. My first day, I'm ready, I'm pumped, I'm primed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this thing in my, in my state that I was in before I went to the bar. And I went onto the streets and an evangelist who has a healing ministry, an international healing ministry, lived in, in my town in, in Ireland where I lived. This man came up to me. He said, hey, how you doing? I didn't really know him, but we kind of loosely knew each other. He said, how you doing? I said, yeah, good. I said, I'm come, I've come here to share the gospel on the streets. He's like, okay, okay. He said, you know, if you're going to share the gospel, you know, these days you've got to bring something different, man. I said, well, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, you've got to bring a bit of humor, a bit of comedy. You know, you've got to kind of come at it this way. You've got to come at it that way. And man, I panicked. I thought, I don't have any of this stuff. And genuinely, this guy's like seasoned, he's well known, he's got a reputation, and he's telling me the way it should be done. And I'm like, I got none of that. You know what I did? Hand on heart, I went home, I didn't share, I went home and cried in my bedroom, on my bed. I went and wept on my bed because I said, I don't have any of that stuff. But when the Lord dealt with me and he said, look, I'm calling you to stand for me. And I went into that bar, the man put his head against my head, and he's screaming threats at me. And the last thing he says is, why are you here? I'm thinking it's a very good question. <laughs> I said, God sent me. And as I said, God sent me, the man pulled his head away as if there was a power, as if there was a force that was moving him back. And the man walked up and down the streets. He's like, I'm going to kill that guy, man. I'm going to kill that guy. And this guy's going crazy. What am I doing? I'm trying to regulate my breathing so I don't fall, slip into a panic attack. I'm like, okay, just breathe. <sighs> breathe, breathe. You know, it doesn't look very glamorous, huh? But I'm in this place, and then, long story short, me and this man became friends. I go back the next week, and I'm welcomed in, seat the table. He prepares a table before your enemies, amen? I went into that bar and I, I became friends with this bar owner and we, be, we began to bring church to the bar, which had never been done, amen. Come on, praise God. The man said to me, he said, the church has never crossed the lines of this street and the streets never welcomed the church before. He said, this has never been done. I, I, I came to my worship team because I'm like, we're gonna bring church. Uh, to the bar. So I came to the worship team in my local church. I said, guys, I've got a gig for you. You want to come? I've got this gig for you. It's going to be great. You know? And they're like, yeah, yeah, where is it? And I told them, I said, it's in this bar. And they were like, ah, when? I don't know if I can make it. Yeah, I don't know. You know. But a couple of the brave ones came. Like, it was so bad. One of the guys from church who came with a little group of people, I saw him just before everybody was going in and he looked around and he ran off down the street and didn't go in the bar. Like, it was pretty crazy, you know? And to make it worse, it was Halloween this night. The first night we went in, it was Halloween. So everybody's dressed up like ghosts and ghouls, and they're, they're trying to scare the Christians, like, running up to them and stuff, you know? So it was kind of crazy. But, you know, in that place, the power of the Lord fell, and people's lives were changed. The most significant moment that I, I remember, because just to see how the Lord turned this thing around, there was the, the, the bar owner was there, 
And again, we became friends. And just before I got up to preach the gospel in this bar of all these crazy people, this man looked at me in the bar and he says, what are you looking at? to me as I'm like preparing to go and preach. He says, why are you looking at me? I said, no, I'm not looking at you, man. He says, you're looking at me, aren't you? And I'm like, no, I'm not looking at you. And he starts coming up to me, wanting to fight me. So I'm thinking, this is like, you know, going to ruin the whole night. This is the first time it's been done. It's going to wreck the thing. So I thought, I'm going to go and tell the bar owner, but, you know, in a secret kind of way. So I go over to the bar owner. I'm like, look, uh, there's a guy over there. And he's, you know, he's, he's starting to cause a bit of trouble. The guy's like, where is he? Show me where he is. I'm trying to diffuse it, not escalate it, you know? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, it's good, it's good. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure he doesn't want any trouble. But it's the guy over there. There's, there's three guys. It's the one on the, on the right. So he's like, where is he? So he goes over to this guy like this, walks up to this guy. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is getting bad. He picks the guy up by the throat, lifts him off his feet, because this guy's huge. And I'm over here, and I'm kind of like secretly looking on my, not that one, the other one, the other one. <laughs> He's got like the wrong guy. He's picking up the wrong guy. He's like, puts him down, picks up the guy, throws him out, literally throws him out the bar, out the door. And I get up and share the gospel. While I'm sharing the gospel, I say, Holy Spirit, would you move like wind, like waves through this, this bar? I ask you for waves, and I've never done that before. I didn't even know you could. And I'm like, Lord, will you just move like waves of your presence? And people are standing there with their drinks, and they're like feeling the waves of the Holy Spirit as he's moving past them in the bar. One lady standing there with a glass of vodka, and she says, I can feel it, I can feel it. Shouts it out, comes to the front of the bar and says, what's going on, what's going on? I said, it's Jesus, do you want him? She gives her heart to the Lord, her name was Bella. You know what she tells me? She says, I was in a bar six miles away. And in this bar, somebody came in and said, did you hear there's a Christian night going on in the Forge Bar? And she's like, no way. She says, I've got a taxi here to see if it was true. By Thursday evening, she's at my new believers group, this lady. Praise God, isn't that beautiful? Many, many things happened in that bar, and the Lord went on to do something so beautiful. You know how beautiful it was? I can look and I can see my 12 baskets. I wouldn't be in the USA if I didn't go to that bar. True story. I'll tell you what happened. I prayed before I went into that bar, I prayed, I said, God, send ripples through this community. From this event, the first time I went in, send ripples throughout this city. My pastor employed me, I believe, off the back of the momentum that came from that bar, he employed me, he said, I want to employ you as our first full-time evangelist. He, I'd never been one, they'd never had one. He brought me in and my job was to stand on a street five days a week, talking to people about Jesus. And while I was there in those early months, Jesus at the door was birthed. This is Jesus at the door. It's what we call um, an evangelism presentation that equips everyday believers to win everyday people. So the Lord gave me these nine points that make up Jesus at the door in the, in the middle of a secular, sinful society. On the streets is where he chose to birth this beautiful flower. I'll be praying for a, a lost person, trying to share the gospel. The Lord give me a phrase. I'd, I'd say that phrase and they'd be like, I'd write it on my phone. A couple of weeks later, I get another phrase. I get another one and another one. That is what Jesus at the door is. Jesus at the door is now in 149 nations. We have users of our app in 149 nations. We just found out last week. 149 countries, some that I can't even pronounce. Amen. Come on. We can celebrate that. There's some nations I can't even say the word, pronounce the word, but that's, where, that's what the Lord has done with this thing. And because of Jesus at the door, I was invited to, to come to the U.S. 
Because of that, I got employed by a local pastor in a church in Washington, and then evangelist Daniel Kalenda uh, also heard about Jesus at the door and employed me. Do you know why I got to work, I got to be connected with CFAM? Because they made a movie about this bar. It's called Finger of God 2. It's a movie by Darren Wilson, who made uh, um, five movies, I believe, five or six movies. They came to Ireland, and for 15 minutes, it's a 15-minute segment in this movie where they film me in this bar. Because of one 20-second act, I stood down the bar owner face-to-face. Why are you here? Jesus sent me. That was about it. Say 20 seconds, just like David. That one 20-second act changed my destiny. Everything changed. Every single thing changed. You see, your crumb will lead a trail. It will lead a pathway to your destiny. It will light up your destiny like a runway. Will you offer your crumb today and let him lead you into your destiny? The Lord is asking the church for a crumb. Will you speak to your neighbor? Will you speak to your friend? Will you speak to your colleague? Would you be willing to share what you know? If you say, I don't know how to share, well, that's why we've given you this. Everyone, everywhere. We've seen children share this thing and people get saved. It's easy. But I want you guys to see what can happen from a crumb. Because I got employed because of that movie that they made. And that's why I'm here right now with the biggest evangelistic ministry in the world. Because I went to a bar for 20 seconds and stared down a bar owner. What is waiting on the other side of your crumb? So I want to pray for you guys as I finish. And I want to ask you to expose your heart right now as we pray before the Lord and say, God, what is it? What is it that I'm not willing to step out for? What is it that I'm refusing your nudge? What is it that you're calling me to that I'm not accepting? Disobedience is a dangerous thing. The Lord has called the church to go make disciples of all nations. He didn't say the evangelist, he said the church. If you're a blood-bought believer, you have a command, you have a commission, and that's to go make disciples. But it begins with your crumb. Nobody is exempt, and everybody has enough. So Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room right now. I pray that you would move upon them. I pray you would touch their hearts. Lord, I pray for your spirit to fall and expose our hearts. Lord, any area of fear, I pray you crush it right now in our hearts. We just bind every spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you'd release faith in this place. I pray for faith to rise. If you're here this morning and you're not walking with Jesus, you may be a church attendee, you may pray before you go to sleep, But if you close your eyes on earth this evening, do you know with 100% guarantee that when you open them, you'll look Jesus in the eyes and he'll say, you'll say all is well with my soul. Are you following Jesus? There's a difference between believing and following. You can believe in God, live the way you want to live and go straight to hell. Or you can follow him, live the way he wants you to live and go straight to heaven. So I'm going to ask you just real quickly, if you're here this morning and you say, God, I'm not following you. I don't know that I have eternity in my heart then I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand to heaven and just say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to belong to you. I want my name written in in the Lamb's book of life. Just raise your hand to heaven and say, God, here I am. I want you, Lord. I need you. I want to belong to you. If you're here today 
and the Lord is speaking to you and you're like, I know that I've disobeyed. I know I've ignored the call of God because I felt that I had a deficit. I felt I didn't have enough to bring. And the Lord's touching your heart today and saying, let me, let me awaken you to your destiny. Let me show you the pathway to your destiny from your breadcrumb. Thanks for joining us today. We hope God is speaking to your heart through this message. If you'd like to connect with us, you can text CONNECT to 407-588-0115 or visit illuminate.church. Have a great week.